Hi everyone, it's Vivian. I'm just dropping in right at the beginning of this episode before we start in order to let you know that we did have a little bit of brief conversation about assault in this episode. It is brief, we don't go into great detail, but um, I do completely understand that sometimes you are just not in a headspace or a place in your life in order to be able to listen to any form of that kind of conversation. If you are in this kind of position right now, then maybe it is best that you skip this episode. Religion and Popular Culture podcast, where we talk about religion and popular culture and everything in between and all of the elements and all of the stuff together, how it all works. Um, and today, oh, I am Vivian Asimos. I should probably introduce myself. Jesus Christ. Uh, I am Vivian Asimos. And as always, I am joined by my lovely friend and colleague, Alan Thomas. Alan, say hello. Hello. So on our first episode that we did together, um, where we were kind of introducing this new format of it, we talked about Buffy uh, a little bit too much, probably, because we started getting in tangents about how much we like Buffy. So I thought we could at least uh, start the conversation about Buffy today. Um, Like most of the other conversations that we have already had, like Zelda and Invented Religions, we're going to probably be revisiting Buffy and other like forms talking about Mm. other aspects of it at some other time Um, but today we're going to focus on monsters and Buffy I think the monster element of Buffy is one of the most interesting but that might be because I find monsters really interesting Uh, for people who don't know I've written uh, two different books on monsters I have a course on monsters that I teach Uh, I just finished a whole series on my website blog about monsters i have a lot to say about monsters and i love them i suppose you could say you have a monstrously good knowledge of this Ah, thank you thank you see this 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 is how this episode is going to work is you're going to bring theoretical approaches to monsters and buffy and i'll bring the puns I, I like monsters. I think monsters are cool, and it has uh, only slightly to do with my uh, love of Halloween and how Halloween is my favorite holiday. Uh, but that's, I think, a conversation for another day. Mm. Um, but I think that when we're talking about monsters, I think maybe there might be some people who are wondering how this fits into the religion aspect of what we're talking about. Obviously, you can think about monsters as popular culture. You think about monsters maybe in a more um, classical sense, right, of like the ancient monsters that we think about in in old stories, but you might not think about how it fits into a much more kind of general conversation about religion. So um, I did kind of want to talk about a little bit about how monsters and religion are not as separate as you might be thinking, and then we'll kind of dig into Buffy and how all of this works with Buffy um, after we kind of do a little bit of an introduction to monsters. So I think, as Alan said, you don't you don't have as much uh, knowledge of monsters from a more kind of theoretical background. But have you encountered many in the way of monsters, just generally speaking, in your? Uh, I have encountered many monsters in my life. 
um, <laughs> both real and fictional. Um, no, no, in, in all seriousness, yeah, it's hard to escape monsters, I think, um, because they are um, often in popular culture. Um, a monster is very much a an archetype villain, and you can do lots with monsters because what a monster is is such a subjective category. So, and I guess this is what's really interesting about the Buffy side is that um, you can do almost anything with a monster. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> uh, and but also they have this um, intrinsic relationship with horror um, that helps give them this villain status. And I'm alluding to this villain status because I think Buffy really blurs that line. It does, yeah. Um, it so... makes it, it. Buffy really questions what is what is monster, what is monstrous, and when does a monster stop being a monster? Um, mm. Which we'll get into because first we kind of have to talk a little bit about what a monster is, and like you said, those kinds of definitions and ideas and categories of what a monster is is really not as solid as I think we like to think of it as. Um, but I think more generally speaking, monsters do have a lot of places in kind of the ancient stories of old religions and old myths. Um, the Enuma Elish, which is an ancient Near Eastern uh, kind of set of myths, for uh, has a lot of the kind of Persian, I think, you know, that kind of area of the world. And uh, there's a creation myth in that one of basically the world starts as a watery void and there is a water dragon monster that lives in it and the god comes down and slays the water monster and that's what we are living on on the land that the land is actually the bits of dead monster floating in the water <laughs> and that was a really common myth in a lot of different areas of the ancient near eastern it wasn't just the enuma leash and you can actually find traces of it in the old testament uh in the bible for people who are interested to really dig into it but you can actually kind of see it in those bits mm. as well um but what the monsters typically are things that kind of represent what a society or a culture might find reprehensible or horrific, but also what we might find taboo. So the things that we don't want to talk about or we don't think are are worth being part of society. And probably the most obvious example of this that I can think of most recently has been the Wendigos. Um, not that Wendigos are very recent in storytelling, but uh, they kind of came up in popular culture uh, very suddenly with um, the video game Until Dawn made Wendigos a bit more commonly discussed in popular culture. Uh, Wendigos are creatures in um, Native American mythology which uh, are born from cannibalism. So again, cannibalism is taboo. You're not supposed to do cannibalism. And the result of cannibalism is this monster. So it's always tied to some kind of taboo. But my favorite way of looking at monsters is actually how they fit into categories that we establish in the world. And this also hints a little bit as to my particular form of anthropology that I have been mostly trained in. Um, but a lot of it focuses on categories. So as we go about in the world, we categorize things and we learn things. As we're children, we point at stuff and your parents kind of tell you what it is and how it fits. 
you see a dog and you figure out that's a dog, but dogs can look very different from one another, but they're all in the category of dog, but a cat is not in the category of dog, you know, all of these kinds of things. And all of those creatures are in the category of animal and a human is not an animal. And, um, you know, all of these different categories that we throw things into, but sometimes things don't fit into these categories or they bridge categories and we don't know which box to put them in. And these things can be our monsters. So the traditional vampire kind of being the living dead, for instance, is the bridging of life and death. So it, these are categories that are separate. The things that are dead are not alive. The things that are alive are not dead. And we are very firm in those categories. But here's something that's both. And what do we do with that? Um, do I'm assuming, Alad, that you have read Mary Douglas. Am I putting you on the spot as a, as a scholar? Um, uh, admittedly, not not much. No, I've I've read work around Mary Douglas, but right. I don't think um, so. Pl- pl- please don't hate me because I know you're a very big fan. <laughs> I am a fan of Mary Douglas, but I'm mostly a fan of Mary Douglas because I am a woman in anthropology. So. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I, um, Mary Douglas also has a really beautiful work on Leviticus and the work of Leviticus and why the pig is this terrible thing according to the Leviticus rules. And she uses this exact construct of monster. So um, in Leviticus, there are rules as to what you can eat and what you can't eat. And there are things that um, chew the cud and cloven hooves but pigs have cloven hooves and chew the cud. And so they fit into two different categories. So you can't do it. It's a monster. You can't even touch it. You can't deal with it because it bridges the categories was essentially what Mary Douglas came to was that things that bridge categories are these really bad things in this particular um, culture and this particular society at that particular time. So uh, this is a really very anthropological way of looking at monsters, which I admit. Uh, there are other ways of looking at monsters. There's a really wonderful book by um, that's edited together, I should say, not written by uh, Jeffrey Cohen, who has really started um, monster theory, which is a subdiscipline in uh, academia and academic thought. But the first chapter in it is very easy to read. It was my introduction to all of this. And uh, it's the seven theses of monster that Jeffrey Cohen wrote. And it's seven different ways of looking at what a monster is and how a monster is defined. And one of those is this categories. Another one, for example, is um, hybrid forms. So a creature that on looking at it is like this amalgamation of different things, which you could say also bridges categories. Um, So there's all sorts of different things that are both separate, but also can be kind of combined together in our thought process. So if you're interested, definitely give that a read. Uh, And I might have it available for you if you sign up for my course, plug, plug. Everybody go and do that. I I shall do the same. Um, But perspectives of monsters can also change over time. Um, And we talked a little bit about this when we did our conversation about mythology uh, in our Zelda and mythology episode, as we talked Mm. about how myths can change over time through different emphases and de-emphases and the agency of storytellers. And obviously part of storytelling are monsters. And so I think this kind of brings us to Buffy fairly well. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Buffy 
is a TV series that ran from, I think, 97 to about 2003. I think so. I, I didn't I, I didn't watch it when it originally aired because I was a little bit too young at the time to yeah. appreciate it. So I watched I watched it um, much more recently than that. Um, <laughs> and and I, I imagine it may be the same for you, Vivian. Yeah, so I actually, there's a um, spinoff of Buffy called Angel, which follows a, a character that we're probably going to be talking about quite a bit today, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because he is one of the monsters that aren't quite monsters. Um, but I, so I watched Angel growing up, but I didn't really watch Buffy, but I knew it was this spinoff from this other show. I just never watched the other show. Mm-hmm. And then when I met Tom, my now husband, we actually did a very lengthy amount of our dating time was that we would watch, we watched all of Buffy and then we watched all of Angel because he had seen Buffy, but not Angel. So it was this nice pair up mm-hmm. of watching the two together. Which yeah. I highly suggest for anyone who hasn't seen them is kind of try to figure out because they start interspersing of what's happening in Buffy impacts what's happening in Angel yes. and vice versa. Yes, there's one season where Buffy isn't in an episode very much because she's over in Angel. And then there's a previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer moment that also has a previously on Angel. The reason I'm saying this is because I actually haven't seen Angel. Oh, which, you should watch Angel. Yeah, I do need to address it because everyone says it's great, but I have seen Buffy and I love it. Um, but I, I don't know if one of the reasons that I haven't watched Angel yet is that I I find the character of Angel really I don't want to say dull, but <laughs> once you've once you've had Spike in your life, <laughs> a- Angel just doesn't cut it. Well, we should probably explain. For we should explain. Who don't because... know Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yes. Um, <laughs> Would you like to explain the show for our lovely listeners, Alan? Yeah, sure. So Buffy the Vampire Say, I think, could get described as a young adult show. It's a show hmm. about teenagers in high school. Um, they, they, as the seasons go on, they do graduate from high school in a very spectacular fashion. Um, <laughs> the, um, they live in a town that is built upon the Hellmouth which is the source of all the monsters in the world. Um, and Buffy herself is a uh, slayer. She is a chosen one. And um, I can't remember if they did this throughout the entire show, but particularly in the early ones, there was a narrated intro from um, Anthony Stewart Head about how she is the chosen one and how the fa- the fate of the world resides on her shoulders um, yeah. So she very much, uh, and I don't want to spend too much time on this because I feel like it's and been done. That'll probably to be a whole other episode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's uh, there's obviously the Christ figure elements, the the messianic um, chosen one elements, and there's also sacrificial elements in Buffy as well. Not just on Buffy's mm-hmm. part, um, but there's sacrificial elements as well that could be unpacked in uh, could be unpacked in a future episode. But I want to keep the focus on monsters, obviously. Um, so Buffy has a set of abilities that the other members of her gang, known as the Scoovies, because they're always fighting weekly monsters and stuff like that. Um, she she has super strength, and uh, she usually carries her um, 
I've, I've forgotten the word. I've forgotten the word for the wood thing that you stab through like a, a wooden stake. A wooden stake. There we go. Gosh. <laughs> I mean, they come up with different names for it, don't they? Because that almost becomes a bit of a running joke that she has uh, one of these. Um, so Buffy is essentially really badass, isn't she? And she is guided through her life, um, not just as a slayer, but I would say also as a teenager, by her school librarian, Giles, who is her watcher. And um, I love Giles. Um and that probably wouldn't come as a surprise to anyone who knows me. And uh, I'd say almost all academics really love Giles, yeah. don't they? He is he is very much what we'd all love to be. Um, so he's a librarian. He has access to a lot of um, weird and wonderful books that often contain spells and so forth. And the show started off with this weekly monster format, didn't it? That um, every week... Buffy and her friends would encounter a new monster that they had to defeat one way or another. And it's as the show progressed, I think the writing got a bit more sophisticated as well. There were long-running storylines from episode to episode. There would be one main villain per season, for example, and one particular... And they'd still occasionally have the weekly monster, but there was one threat... That was always visible throughout the seasons. Um, yes. But um, to to keep the focus on Angel for a moment, since we were just discussing him, Angel is really the first, beyond the, the vampires that she slays, uh, the generic vampire. Well, they're not generic at all, because they're very different to vampires in popular culture. Um, but the most distinctive vampire is Angel at the start. At the start, yes. And he is introduced as a very brooding, mysterious figure. He has, and he's a love interest for Buffy. But what makes Angel different to all the other vampires is that Angel has a soul. He has been cursed to have his uh, soul returned to him. So there was a period of time where he didn't have a soul, and um, he's being punished uh, by being given this soul because he then reflects on all the evil things that he did as a soulless vampire. Um, And he is uh, burdened with guilt, essentially. Um, But it also makes him this blurred character of, okay, yeah, he's a vampire. He can't go out during the day, for example. Um, He's done all these things. People don't know whether they can trust him or not. But he has this soul as well, and he really deeply cares about Buffy. Um, so th- he he is a very interesting character. Before I get on to why I think Spike is even more interesting, <laughs> let's talk about uh, Angel for a moment. What do, what do you think, Vivian? Um, I mean, I, I was a teenage girl who liked the brooding boy in a leather jacket. So I completely understood Angel from a that perspective. Mm. Um, but it is a very quintessential bad boy with a heart of gold character that I think a lot of teenage girl <laughs> including pop Buffy. culture tends to have. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, I think it, part of this is the kind of very interesting aspect of vampires that Buffy introduces in the sense that they are not just the living dead, but they also have removed 
the soul. And of course, the conversation about the soul is also very fascinating. Of mm. It is very, you know, just the, the word soul in the English language is very kind of tied to a Christian form. But as the show goes on, it's not very, it's not a very overtly Christian show other than the obviously very messianic mm. <laughs> chosen one conversation. But it does like flow between different religions and cultures and societies and myths as they encounter different monsters. And um, they kind of treat each element as real as all the other religions and monsters and myths of the world. So it's not like one of them is considered more important. Um, although they do have conversations about different hells that exist. Yeah, they do. But there's also different heavens. There, well, and... there's a really interesting conversation about afterlife yes. later on in the show, particularly and... when it uh, kind of gets unpacked in the musical episode of all things. Yes. <laughs> there's oh a man! Musical yeah, episode. there's a few. There's a few Buffy episodes uh, here, isn't there? Really? <laughs> but yes. Um, yeah. Sorry. Well, I, and I think yeah, I do think the the Buffy musical episode I think started the whole thing of a lot of shows having a musical episode. I think that started the... Yes, yes. <laughs> and not many of them have been as good as the Buffy one was. The Scrubs one was pretty good. The Scrubs one was pretty good um, because it was um, uh, written by the Avenue Q writers, or at least one. Oh, right, yeah. Um, Robert Lopez, I think. Angel um, had a Muppet episode rather than a. It did, yeah. I am aware of this, um, and that the and I'm aware that they poke fun at um, Angel for being the brooding. Oh, the whole show pokes yeah. fun at Angel for being very broody the whole time. That's good because that's the aspect of Angel that kind of wore thin for me because I found that a I found that Angel as a character really. You really went beyond the brooding aspect of just feeling sorry for himself. Yeah, um, he, he very plays it up. In Angel, he starts to kind of lighten up as the seasons go on, but um, it is very... It just becomes the butt of the joke that he's very broody. Yeah. Um, and it becomes... It becomes less of like a, oh, this dark figure broody man and more of just like a ha angel mm. <laughs> kind of thing. Which I always really appreciated, but um, yeah. So the but yeah, Angel's very fascinating from that perspective of this this concept of a soul being tied to morality, having a conscience, yeah, and yeah. morality, and it makes you human. So mm. he's <laughs> so he has that human, human element, yeah. Because they, I yeah. think they even refer to it as his human side. He's got that that human element back to him, and yeah, have it. it it, it very much presents the soul as something that if you lack it, then you are evil. That you, you simply have no morals whatsoever. And, uh, and, it, and it is that presence of a soul that makes you who you truly are. Because they treat Angel because, spoilers, there's a moment where he loses his soul. Um, they treat Angel with the soul and Angel without the soul as on almost different characters. I don't yeah. mean the writers, I mean the characters themselves. They create a distinction between, oh, well, that wasn't Angel. 
Well, because he has, oh, I can't remember his full name. Yeah, he does have a full name that they then refer to him as when he is the soulless vampire. Yeah, and then when he's got a soul, he's angel. He's angel again, exactly, exactly. So it's almost like, oh, but the soul is angel. And then when he doesn't have the soul, he's almost a completely different person. Because then when he does come back, when he does get his soul back, Xander really doesn't take well to Angel. And part of that is because he's got the hots for Buffy. But another part of it is that he just can't trust Angel, despite the fact he's told that Angel has this soul. That's not good enough for Xander. Xander is... Uh, the fact that Angel has a, a soul doth butter no bread for for Xander. Uh, <laughs> it's... Uh, he's uh, you know what I mean don't you he's I know what you mean but that's the first time I've heard that one is that a Welsh saying not that I'm aware of but (laughs) maybe it is maybe it is but um but there is that interesting conversation about how and and that's the thing Buffy trusts him when he has his soul back and other characters generally do as well but Sander doesn't because he has seen Angel without the soul and Angel Without the Soul is presented as being particularly brutal. Yeah. Because he kills a he kills a character who is very important to the narrative at that time. Causes a lot of hurt to our, our boy Giles. Um so they really do emphasize the brutality of a character that doesn't have a soul. And how that instantly changes him. Um, but I wanted to mention Spike. Because um, for those who haven't seen Buffy, Spike is the other vampire, the other big vampire in the show, uh, who sports quite a Billy Idol-ish look. He is much more comical, much more jovial than um, than Angel. And when he's first introduced to the show, he at the time, he is Monster of the Week, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, he lacks the soul. He's an evil vampire. Uh, he's got this relationship with Drusilla, which I love. Uh, yeah, as he's another got... vampire. But yeah, 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 yeah. And it's interesting that they love each other, despite the fact that um, when, with Angel, he's not presented as being somebody who can love without a soul. Um, because Angel is in love with Buffy, loses her soul, and then he doesn't love Buffy anymore. He's even taunting her. Um, but a Spike and Drusilla have this relationship. Um, it's, not, it's not a great relationship either, I will say. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> they are still vampires and it is still quite toxic. But they, but they still have this re- relationship. And he comes back later on because the fans enjoyed his character. And uh, despite the fact that he has no soul, he does have, and I've seen uh, Vivian described in this way in the notes for this episode, as a frenemy status. He's a yeah. friend of the Scooby gangs, but he's, he's, also, he's also a bit of a rascal, isn't he? And, and that's kind of how they present him later on, is that, oh, Spike, um, because they don't know if he's going to turn on them or not. Um, but interestingly, Spike feels guilt as a vampire before he gets his soul back. And he also develops feelings for Buffy when he doesn't have a soul. 
Whereas yes. Angel, Angel, who was in love with Buffy, completely... And this comes back to what I was just mentioning about how Angel was a totally different character when they removed his soul. But um, I feel that Spike... <clears throat> excuse me. I feel that Spike is a lot more nuanced as a character than Angel is. And um, while Angel does blur that boundaries between good and evil, I feel they really blurred that boundary with Spike. Yes. And what really interests me about Spike is that Spike wanted his soul back. Whereas that was a punishment for Angel was to have his soul back. But Spike actively sought a soul so that he could be the man Buffy wanted him to be. Yeah. So that they could have a, you know, regular, so to speak, relationship. Well, I, sorry, I've blabbed for a bit. What do you think about Spike? No, it's I, I mean, I love Spike. And in fact, um, so I, I'm, this is a slight side note, but I'm a big fan of the Dresden Files books. And the audiobooks are read by the actor who plays Spike. Who, um, so in the show, in Buffy, he uh, has this British accent that he uses for Spike. Um, and, and it's really good. I yeah, it's it's pretty good, but he's not British. And so when I started listening to the books, it took me a second to recognize that it was the same guy because. But then one of the characters he would put on as having the same exact type of British accent, and it just threw me off because any time that character spoke, I was like, "It's Spike." Yeah, 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 yeah. His voice is great, and I think it's part of his charm. Now, what you were saying about how you understood the appeal of brooding um the the brooding leather jacket type of angel oh, i understand the appeal of spike as well yeah <laughs> yeah 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 so um um so my uh my wife for example victoria we watched buffy together very recently and if she's listening hi toria um hi, toria. she is very much a spike girl and she is very much proudly a spike and i think part of that with her is firstly she loves his relationship with buffy but also he has that humour. And it's that humour that I think makes him really interesting as a character that does blur the lines between a good monster and a bad monster. Because he really does embrace... He loves being a vampire. um, Certainly in the earlier seasons as well, he does not want to be human. Well, I think what was interesting about Spike was that they also had an episode where they kind of showed his backstory... I think there was a couple of episodes of it, actually. But um, and when he was a human, he was this kind of nerdy poet that no one liked. And he would get kind of bullied and and abused a lot. Mm. And so when he became a vampire, he kind of had this this power to him. And I think because he remembers of what he was like as a human and how people treated him, that I think he likes the difference in the way that people treat him once he's a vampire. And so that's why he kind of doesn't want to be human again, because he's like, I don't want to go back to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, there is also a moment in the show um, where I, I think um, we need to delicately think about where essentially Spike assaults Buffy. Yes. And I think this, in terms of the monster issue, I think this is an important aspect to raise. Um, So um, without giving unnecessary details, there's a moment in the show where um, Spike assaults Buffy because Buffy doesn't reciprocate his feelings. Mm 
and this is when he is a um he is a soulless vampire and um the show presents spike as um experiencing guilt and shame regarding what he's done and i think because it's been a little while since i've watched buffy but i'm definitely going to watch it watch it again after this conversation it's that incident that makes him go searching for a soul doesn't it i believe so because he realizes that his evil and it comes back to the idea that idea of the soul again in buffy being associated with a conscience and with morality and while we were saying earlier that conversation about the soul kind of faded away as the show went on it i think it really returned there and buff and spike goes seeking a soul to essentially redeem himself for what he did for buffy to Buffy, rather. Yeah, but he still... I think what's interesting is that as much as the soul is tied to feelings of, say, guilt, he clearly feels the guilt before, as which a is vampire, what causes him yeah. to do it, which is this really interesting perspective of then what, which you what don't is see a the, soul doing. Yeah. <laughs> which is what which is you don't see with Angel. And this is not me saying, oh, you know, Spike is better than angel or something i think the writing just got a lot more complex and interesting as the show progressed um because he that that frenemy nature of spike uh showed that despite the fact the idea of a soul is linked to a conscience he still was willing to do the right thing many times but then the vampire side of him caused him to do the enemies type of thing as well um i i I just think he's a really interesting character from that perspective he is he's a really interesting character there's a lot of interesting characters because then there was also the introduction of um oz who Mm. was one of the kind of scooby gang members for a bit he was kind of dating one of the other characters he was kind of this goofy bandy like in a band kind of guys um but he gets turned into a werewolf and then there's a whole conversation about i think they have to actually hunt one werewolf while he's like being turned into a werewolf so this conversation then of is oz then now a monster is he a monster that needs to be hunted or is he a monster like angel and like later spike where he's the monster that can stick around yeah where they can be helped so yeah it's a it's this kind of interesting conversation about what what makes him bad you know what makes a monster monstrous essentially Mm. and that a lot of it comes down to whether or not you self-sacrifice in order to not harm others but that it's a sacrificial element that oz needs to tie himself up in like chains and in a cage Mm -hmm. whenever he's supposed to turn so that way he can make sure which feels very sacrificial and you know angel broodiness kind of means that he's kind of sacrificing himself and his own happiness over and over and over again to try to make up for things and Spike sacrifices himself in in several different ways throughout the show mm. to make himself the not monster. Yeah. And I think there's cuz there's also a really interesting series or um season where uh one of the Scooby Gang is the ultimate baddie at the end of the season. Yes, I love that narrative. 
That's really and it, crazy. Which was really fascinating. And it mm. made this kind of question of, well, you know, she clearly had a soul and mm. wasn't turned into anything, you know, like how Oz was suddenly turned into a werewolf. Yeah. And, but what sacrifices was she making and how much, but she wasn't, she was doing everything for her own selfish gain. Mm. Yeah. So there's, yeah, there's all sorts of different interesting elements about sacrifice that's yeah. kind of tied into this definition of a monster. Mm. Oh, that's such a powerful story as well. Man, Buffy's a good show. Um, um, but yeah, yeah, I, I, I completely, uh, uh, completely agree with what you said. Um, there's that as because when Oz leaves the show, I mean, he comes back every now and then as a recurring character, doesn't he? But his relationship with Willow ends because he is a monster. Yes. That they can't sustain the relationship. So they essentially repeat what happened with Buffy and Angel because Buffy and Angel don't work out because he has this immortal life that he will inevitably have to watch Buffy pass away and so forth. Um, and then a similar sort of thing happens with um, uh, with Oz. It, and it presents this idea that being a monster, yes, you know, somebody you have somebody like Oz who is a regular school kid who plays in a band and so on, and he becomes a werewolf at night, but they can never truly belong. Yeah. That a monster is always outside of the society. So um, he became an outsider to the Scoobies when he, it was revealed that he was a, a monster. You know, yeah, obviously they still cared about him and so forth, but he was still an outsider and he had to leave because of that. And it's the same with Angel as well. I mean, Angel went on to have a spin-off show. He was just out of Buffy completely. Yeah, and even in Angel's spin-off show, he does always kind of remain like, you know, it's like the rest of the crew and then Angel's just in charge of the crew, but he's not, he doesn't really feel like as integral as, say, Buffy was to her friends. Mm -hmm. um, and... So yeah, it kind of ties into this whole categorizing element of how monsters are always outside of the human element in, in all sorts of different ways. But their connection to the human is what kind of complicates them and makes them able to stay around and not be hunted. Mm. Um, and there there's a really interesting dynamic of this when um, there's, through very complicated measures, there is another slayer who pops up at one point. Um, and when she arrives on the scene, she doesn't play this frenemies game that everyone else does. She's going, yeah. it's a vampire. Why aren't we killing it? Yes. Yes. She's very, um, <laughs> she doesn't have a particularly nuanced attitude to, um, no. <laughs> who she, who she's slaying. Um, yeah, yeah, that, uh, yeah, you're right. Um, and she does bring a different perspective. And what's interesting about her and Buffy is that they are never seen as outsiders, despite the fact there are some there are aspects of them that make them different to the rest of the Scoobies. They have this they have this status as a slayer and they have these abilities to fight and to jump extremely high and and and, and stuff like that. But that is never seen as a barrier. You know, yeah, there are times when some of the Scoobies think that Buffy's a little bit too big for her boots 
because she is the chosen one and so on, which is always going to happen to a teenager who's told that she's the chosen one. Um, But that is never seen as something that means that Buffy can't fit in. Yeah. Just just as a little side there. Well, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting element of, like, um, I... (laughs) I sometimes can get in trouble for saying this, so I'm just going to risk it. Uh, But I always thought it was interesting that by definition, Jesus is a monster. Mm. He bridges categories. He doesn't fit in. He's not allowed to stay in Mm. society um, because he's not human. But he's also not not human. Uh, he's both human and not at the same time and kind of like a werewolf. <laughs> Jesus yeah, yeah, is like a werewolf is my, <laughs> is my thesis. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. You're, you're bringing out the point that I was really um, trying to make unsuccessfully about Buffy. Yeah, well, because some of it is this idea of how, how society treats the um, multi-categories versus the uncategories is a really interesting conversation. And when we kind of go back to the Mary Douglas talking about Leviticus and the Israeli food laws, you have this idea of that anything that bridges categories can't fit at all. But with Christianity, suddenly there's a difference because this also ties into, this is kind of going slightly off the rails, but I'm going to stick with it. So um, with like, if you think about it as so from the perspective of the social, right? So in um, Jewish culture, most of the time, a particularly old Jewish culture, you couldn't become Jewish unless you were already Jewish. Mm. So you're not one of the cho- you're not one of God's chosen people unless you are one of God's chosen people. There's just no going around it, mm-hmm. which means that there's no bridging of the categories. But when Christianity comes on the scene, they change that narrative. Now you can become one of God's chosen people through Jesus. So now you need to have a bridge in the categories and that bridge has to be seen as positive because it's through that that you're able to achieve. But that outside of the categories that doesn't fit at all is still can be considered bad. So there's really interesting perspectives on how, how what type of monster is being treated in what way based on society and the superhero is always going to be that figure that is the positive monster for lack of a better term Mm. (laughs) is the jesus monster um then the superhero fights that uncategorized essentially so much of um what a monster is um i think is so tied to actions not simply monstrous appearances, but and it's uh, and you know as as you were saying, you were quite hesitant to say that Jesus is a monster. Well, why were you hesitant to say that? Well, because monsters are inherently bad, and it is not a good thing to be a monster. Um, I guess that's what I really like about Buffy is that, um, as you were saying, you know, Buffy is arguably a monster in that sense, um, but other. Um, monstrous characters become part of the Scoobies. They're shown to actually be good people. Um, But, um, and I think as well, often when I hear the word monster, 
and I don't know if this is my interest in um, in media coming out here. Um, I think of the way the term monster is used in the press and is yes. used in news narratives, um, particularly associated with um, serial killers, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, monster usually gets used there. And the idea of monster there isn't because this person has superhuman powers or this person um, has, you know, ten eyes and um, a giant foot. I, I don't know. I'm just trying to <laughs> I'm just trying to create a monster on the spot. Um, but th- this is down to their actions, that they are morally repugnant people, that they have committed, you know, unforgivable acts. Um, so th- that very much shapes the discourse of what a monster is. Yeah, it kind of goes back to that definition of it being tied to the horrific or the taboo, right? It's mm-hmm. the the what makes Jeffrey Dahmer feel much more monstrous was almost the cannibal side of him as well as mm. the murdering side of him. Yes, the sadistic side. Yeah, that um, and the human monster is is this kind of separate conversation that is really fascinating as well of of when when humans are considered monsters and when they aren't and how that discourse can change because there's obviously been times where people that we wouldn't consider monsters now were considered monsters and primarily i'm thinking of the lgbt community here Mm. um where there was a time not that long ago where they were considered the monstrous of society and um while there might be still a couple of people who feel that way, there's quite a lot of people who don't anymore um, because our definitions have changed and our understandings of what is taboo and what isn't and what is allowable in society has changed. So what cha- what changes a monster isn't just our understandings, but it's our society. As our society changes, so do our monsters. Mm-hmm. So what a monster is, is ref- or rather, where society often stands on moral issues, reflects what is seen as monstrous. Well, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That might be a nice way of, of ending this episode. Was with yes. That, that nice summary by... Yeah. The too long didn't listen by the, the too long didn't listen. Yeah, that uh, what what what's monstrous is what society deems it to be at the time. That doesn't sound as good as what I just said. <laughs> what did I just what what did I just say? I've oh gosh, it's been a long week. To our yes. lovely listeners, thank you for bearing with us. Uh, it's been uh, a very busy week for both of us, but it's a nice end to the week to be able to discuss Buffy with you all. I always enjoy ending my week by talking with you, Alan. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's our thing. It's, it's our thing. It's our thing. <laughs> talking. That we talk at the end of the week. Um, but yes, I think there's so much to Buffy in re- religion and popular culture that is uh, rich to unpack. I mean, I've, j- I've just started thinking about Willow and witchcraft. Yes. Which is another uh, enormous conversation that I'd quite like to have. I think Willow's a fascinating character and her relationship with witchcraft is uh, really interesting because it directly informs some of the aspects that we've discussed today. The monstrous side of um, when a character becomes, one of the Scoobies becomes a monster. Yeah. Um, um, so it uh, ties into that as well. Um, but yeah. 
Yeah, we'll be we'll be revisiting like Zelda, like invented religions, like pretty mm. much everything we're going to be talking about. There's going to be more to say mm. on some other date Absolutely. when we finally get around to it, because we've got loads of ideas already piling up. <laughs> I feel like by the end of an episode, we've got another like five ideas that we throw yeah, down. Yeah, 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 yeah. We do, we do. Um, I'm uh, I'm also thinking little teaser for our uh, <laughs> our audience. I'm thinking of doing a um, cults and popular culture episode. That I think would be really interesting. Um, some uh, cultic things appeared on my Netflix recommendations the other day, and I thought, I've, given that I've got a PhD on NRM studies, I really should unpack this as part of our podcast series. Yes, let's do it. So uh, look forward to that in the near future, everyone. Well, if anyone wants to find out more about you and follow your discussion on NRMs uh, in its variety of formats, Alid, where can they go to find out more about you? One of the best places you can come to find out more about me is my Twitter page, at Alid Thomas, where I'm often discussing things that interest me. And you can also check out my recently published book on Free Zone Scientology, um, which uh, I think is really interesting, and uh, hope and if you read it, hopefully, hopefully you will too. It's all about uh, contemporary forms of Scientology uh, that exist outside the institutional church. So how NRMs shift and adapt to modern issues. And Vivian, where can people find you if they want to know more about monsters? Uh, they can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at Vivian Asimos, and you can go to my website, incidentalmythology.com, where pretty much everything I ever do is always there. Um, and you can also check out our podcast, that another podcast that we do together that we also record sometimes at the end of the week, um, which is called What's Interesting About. So if you're interested in us talking a little less researchy, uh, a little bit more loosey-goosey, you can go check out that podcast we do with our friend Jonathan O'Donnell, and it's also loads of fun to do at the end of a week. So, it is, uh, yeah. Yeah, go check that one out too. Absolutely. And uh, share this podcast with someone who likes Buffy. Yes. Yeah, do. I will share this with all my Buffy friends. Everyone likes Buffy, everyone so go share Buffy. it with everyone then. <laughs> everyone, go and share it with everyone, and uh, we shall see you soon. Bye. Bye.